What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all doing well. Um, the episode today is actually an interview that I did with uh, Daniel Prince on the Once Bitten podcast. Um, this show got off the ground, I think, around two, three months ago. Daniel has been crushing it ever since. Tons of output and a lot of really, really good guests. So if you haven't yet checked that out, I highly recommend you do so. Um, Daniel reached out to me a while back, um, invited me on the show. It was an honor to get the invite, and of course I said yes. And uh, basically, we just had a general discussion, a little bit about uh, my background, and then, of course, uh, more about some of the craziness that's uh, going on in the world today. So I thought in the event that uh, you weren't familiar with Daniel's pod yet, or maybe you missed it, that uh, I'd republish it here. So that's it. Hope you enjoy. Let's do it. Okay, today's guest. John Vallis, a fellow podcaster, done many, many more episodes than, than I have and uh, has uh, interviewed some of the, uh, the space's uh, most uh, prominent names. Really love to uh, ask him some questions around that and probably turn the tables on him at the end and do a bit of rapid fire. So, uh, <laughs> John, welcome to the show and thanks for having a virtual beer. Uh, Cheers, can you, again. can you explain to the listeners, cheers, explain to the listeners where you're sitting because this is the most amazing backdrop I've, I've right. ever seen. So for those that aren't watching, this is, um, I'm in a place called Cupid's in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. So this was actually, I might fuck this up, but I believe this was the first English speaking settlement in North America. Basically, there's a few summer homes here and there's uh, a, you know, a decrepit fish plant that I'm not even sure is operational anymore, but at one time, it was a booming place. And uh, yeah, I'm on, on the edge of a cliff looking out over the, uh, the bay on a beautiful sunny day. A little bit cold out, but nice to observe through the window. And uh, I'm on lockdown currently because uh, not an official lockdown, but myself and uh, some family members were in Ontario, where it's the, there's the most cases of uh, the coronavirus in Canada. And upon returning to Newfoundland, our family members... Uh, requested that we quarantine ourselves for a little while so it's not a bad are. looking place to be quarantined man. i'll be looking no. out that window all day yeah <laughs> no it's 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 beautiful no no complaints as long as there's internet i'm good i'm sure you're you're you got your feet up looking out there uh, reading human action every day like uh <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's funny because i you know i've been seeding family members with bitcoin content for years and only this year have any of them really you know, been receptive to it. And so out at the, uh, at the cottage where it's usually, it's my parents' place. They spend most of their, their, you know, weekends there. There's uh, the little Bitcoin book, uh, the Bitcoin standard, why buy Bitcoin uh, by Andy, who I know you, you spoke to as well. Um, which other one? There's one I'm missing. Oh, 21 lessons by Gigi. Right. A and, you know, perhaps, uh, a little bit too, a little uncomfortably ominous at the moment, and nobody's read it, not even myself, but it's there because I brought it there recently, is uh, the Gulag Archipelago. So um, uh -oh. by Soldiers Niston, or however you pronounce his name. And uh, that one's probably, strike, maybe strikes a little bit too close to home with what's going on in the world today. But uh, yeah, so there's lots of content out there for them to acquaint themselves with Bitcoin while we uh, wait out our quarantine. You just hope they uh, they pick it up, right? Well, I mean, I know this is bad opsec, but 
they, you know, number of family members may be in the game, as it were. Or might have just lost it in a boating accident right, right. behind, right on right. the ocean, right behind you. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's just unfortunate to live so close to water, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I just lost your video there, which is a little bit. Oh no, you're back. Yeah, it's back. I had a call coming in. Okay. Um, so, first English settlement, speaking settlement of Northern America. I, I, I mean, are there wampum shells land all over the place? Is there what? Oh, the the wampum shells. That that was oh, the. No. You know. <laughs> no, there is though. You know, probably 500 yards from here, there's um, there's an arche- archaeological uh, dig site. Uh, which is always coming up with stuff from that era. So it's a, it's a tourist place, you know, a humble tourist attraction on, uh, on this glorious island of Newfoundland that we're on. But uh, I can't say I spend too much time out here. I just come out every now and then when I'm, when I'm visiting home. Right, gotcha. And so where, where, I mean, are you traveling uh, a lot of the time? I know like a little bit about your backstory and we, we spoke about Thailand just on the DMs. I want to get into that. Um, what, what, how did you find yourself in Thailand and... How long were you there? And uh, I, uh, I have spent the last uh, decade or so in China. So I spent most of my time living in Shanghai. I worked in wealth management for the first part of that time. And then I went back to school, for th- did a three-year program in, in natural medicine. And then I worked in that capacity for a few years in Shanghai. And um, then I, you know, I, I basically I hated both of those positions. <laughs> Not necessarily the industry. I certainly dislike the, the wealth management industry more. Although could, had I been able to, uh, you know, get clients into Bitcoin at the time, I'm sure I would have liked it, you know, substantially more. But um, I left where I was at in April 18, bought a motorhome, uh, drove around Europe for four months uh, with the idea of just uh, finding interesting people and sitting down and recording conversations with them. So I'd been doing Bitcoin interviews, you know, where, where possible since 2015. So my first one was Bobby Lee. And then anytime I came across someone that, that was even remotely interested, I'd, I'd try to sit down with them and have a chat. Uh, but, you know, my interests are broad too. So I got the motorhome and half-baked ideas, zero planning. I was like, I'm going to buy a motorhome. I'm going to drive around Europe. Of course, I'm going to run into all these great people. And then I'm going to sit down and record these fantastic conversations with them. Uh, and somehow I thought that I would just, as I'm flying through or like driving through Berlin for a day or two or Prague or whatever, I'd of course know who I wanted to speak to and I'd schedule them. No, no questions asked, no problem. Uh, so it didn't really turn out that way. And I, I drove off the parking lot in Utrecht where I bought the, the car, just started driving North, had no idea where I was going, spent the first night at a cheese farm and then, you know, drove through Germany and whatever. I ended up at a conference in Prague, the Beyond Psychedelics Conference. And it was there that I was my first kind of, I was able to record interviews with a lot of prominent people in the psychedelic community, researchers and scientists and stuff like that. So that was cool. And then the rest of the time, I just realized most people worth speaking to uh, at least require more than a couple of days notice to get you into their schedule, you know, um, or just to convince them that you're not a psycho. And that you, you know, you, you just, it's, it's hard to convey to people why you just want to sit down and chat, you know, it's somewhat of an unusual thing. So um, anyways, I did it for three, four months. I think I recorded about 25 uh, interviews, most of which are up on a YouTube channel. I just kind of used as a repository for that stuff. And um, 
after that, or you know, I was in. I've been going to Thailand for several years, back and forth. And right after I quit my job in Shanghai, I did a couple of weeks in Thailand just to blow off some steam. Met this girl on a beach there, and then after my uh, tour of Europe, I went back and, you know, we we got a house on the beach, sort of thing, and we're just uh, living the good life for a while. And um, funny enough, when I I'd always thought I knew a lot of people were into Bitcoin, but you know, I didn't know there was such a vibrant community. So I kind of felt isolated because none of the people that I knew and none of my friends or anything were into it. And then just, and I was always kind of a lurker on Twitter, which I think you was this, your case as well, right? I've heard you yeah. say that before. Yeah. And uh, I guess just by virtue of following enough people, you reach like kind of a, uh, you know, a point where you, you realize that Bitcoin Twitter is a thing. And, uh, I did. And then I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like these are people thinking how I think and interested in the same things. And th these are the conversations I want to be a part of. So I was like, all right, I've, I've always hated doing these, you know, electronic distance interviews. You know, I always like to prefer to be face to face, uh, but that not being possible being in Thailand, I just thought I, you know, I'm going to have to start a podcast so I can have these conversations. And that was, that was it basically. Whereabouts in Thailand? In Phuket. Yeah, down right. on the southern southern tip of the island. Gorgeous spot, 500 meters away from my, my girlfriend and I do a lot of Muay Thai. And so it was 500 yards away from our gym, five-minute scooter ride away from one of the nicest beaches I've ever been to in my life, certainly the nicest on the island. You know, good food, great weather, pretty nice situation. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It really is. Um, yeah. There's a lot so of Bitcoin. Samui, right? That's where your spot is. Yeah, right? yeah. We've got a spot yeah. in Koh Samui, yeah. And um, there's a there's a big Bitcoin community growing um, in like uh, around those islands, like Koh Phangan. That's where um, I don't Is know if you it? follow. Uh, yeah, at, do, do you follow um, Didi Taihutu at Didi? Um, he's the Bitcoin family guy. He's the crazy Dutch guy that sold everything for Bitcoin, like four or five oh, years. Oh, really? Ago. Yeah, he's the first guy oh. I interviewed on this pod. Uh, <laughs> They're because, in Thailand. Yeah, I he went um, to Australia or something when they did when they when they sold everything. I don't know why. They've traveled like. all over the, and world right. school the kids. They even come and camped on our front lawn here in France for like three or four days back in uh, September. And that they're driving this van around. Uh, it's got um, Bitcoin logos all over it, and they go to different conferences. And you know, their ethos is they're just trying to educate people and, uh, and help yeah. spread the word. So, yeah, well, I have to get you to make a connection after we get off the call because I'd love to talk to him about his experiences. And I was thinking in hindsight, like I should have put some like decals or stickers on the outside of my RV so that just, well, you know, you don't want to make yourself a target either. And driving around in an RV in Europe can be sketchy in certain places. So, you know, I don't, maybe, maybe that would have been a bad idea, but it would have been great to attract more Bitcoiners to my journey. Yeah, 100%. I'll link you up and get him on the show because his story is incredible like you really? know as soon as they started as soon as that hit business insider i think were the first one of the first like this crazy dutch guy selling everything for bitcoin you know sold the house sold the car sold absolutely everything all in bitcoin opting out of the system um documentary film crew started showing up and uh, yeah it's, <laughs> it's, nuts. it's a nuts story so it's really what a, what, a, what a what an awesome move like his kids are going to look back on that in 20 years and be like my parents were total gangsters. Yeah. You know, like they were just so far ahead of their time. They saw it, presumably, you know, if we're right about all this. Oh, I'm hoping my kids are going to think the same about that. <laughs> right now, they just think I'm kind of crazy and annoying. 
So yeah. uh, you'll get cool dad points, you know, in the next five to 10 years, I suspect. I would hope so. Um, yeah. So, all right. So living in China, Shanghai, wealth management, can you give us an, in- an insight, you know, what's your day today? Dude, what- I mean, it, it sounds, maybe to some, it sounds glamorous, but we, you know, we were just salesmen, you know, we, we were selling offshore, you know, insurance wrapped mutual fund products, basically, you know, to whatever, uh, to, to the uh, institutions that gave the firm the highest clip basically. Uh, and that was it, you know, so maybe there were some alternative investments thrown in there, like some, you know, uh, like, uh, wine investments or whatever, but you know, the firm pushed very hard on their, their associates selling the, the highest commission products. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's basically what it was. And you're dealing with, you know, there's some actually very lasting friendships I made. Like some of my, a couple of my best friends still were from that time, but 90% of them were just sleaze balls. And uh, I, I just hated going into work and, you know, doing, doing that kind of work. So I didn't last long in that environment, two, two, three years, something like that. I was sold one or two of those policies. <laughs> <laughs> were you? I, I was in Singapore. Yeah. I was in Singapore for 15 years uh, in foreign exchange. So in, in financial markets. And, yeah. um, yeah, like, uh, you know, I know the kind of, um, shops that you're talking about. Yeah. And I was pushed some of those things and, you know, it sucks, right? As a young man, 25, 26, you, you've got a little bit of spare change and you think you're doing the right thing. But yeah, like you say, you're just being pushed. One of these things, whatever is front loaded on the commission and uh, exactly. shout out to Zurich, you dirty bastards, because, uh, yeah. they, yeah. they are one of, uh, they are the worst. You know- you know what's crazy is, I mean, like Zurich, Friendsprov, General, these are all massive financial institutions, some of the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, these products are mostly shit. So, you know, and I didn't know that getting into it, right? You go, I was green behind the ears as much as anybody mm-hmm. else. So I go in and I'm thinking like, this is, I want to be in finance in Shanghai. China's the future. Like all the, this whole narrative telling myself. And then you get in and, you know, slowly but surely you begin to, understand like that this is not what you thought it was right and you know they don't give a fuck about what your perspective on things is or how like how you want to manage you know your client's portfolio they really just want you to sell and sell as much as possible right so uh like i said had you know had bitcoin been an option i would have been you know i would have been loving it like andy is doing now i would have loved to be in a position like andy where you know you can really construct something that's uh you know a, a great portfolio based on time horizon and risk and all the rest of it but in this case it's just sell 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 or was just sell 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 and i hated it and you know you know bailed very shortly after so if you can just outline to people then going to financial advisors or will be going to financial advisors over the next um coming months because everyone's going to have to do some kind of rebalancing what do they yeah. need to look out for because Andy, Andy spoke about this being a fiduciary. Um, that's a whole different level. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we generally don't get exposed to people like that. We get exposed to, um, you know, the mainstream stuff. How do people like Zurich or Friends Provident or Aberdeen or whoever it might be, how do they come to you and then sell you on their product for you to go, not you anymore, but um, like as the broker dealer, whatever, you, that, that kind of um, role, and then yeah. go sell it to the masses well i mean the the relationship was 
they had existing relationships with the firm, right? And of course, they would come to our quarterly parties, rev everybody up, you know, supply the booze, put off a big, you know, party, everyone would get shit-faced, you know, and that's how they they keep the relationships with these kind of people, these these firms and these guys. So like there was no direct we didn't have any decision making over the products. You know, the firm was gave us, you know, a very limited selection and said, you know, go do your job. And so my my opinion on the industry like even here, and you know, no, no disrespect to any people that I know here that are in the industry or anybody around the world for that matter, but it's mostly bullshit, right? Because mo- most of the people that are your advisor, they don't. First of all, who the hell knows what's going to happen in markets, anyways, right? But in, and you know, some people have better insight than others and have a different macro view and that kind of stuff. But in general, they're all salesmen. It's just a matter of the degree of how hard they sell because most of them get their technical analysis or their macro view from a specific department in their firm or from head office. And then it gets sent down through to everybody. And these are their talking points that they're supposed to use with their clients and any social media or media or whatever they do. And so you know, we have this impression that, oh, these are the guys that understand this complex financial universe. No, they, they, they got a memo they get a memo each quarter or each week or each month or whatever it is. And, you know, th- this is what the firm thinks. And by the way, who, who says what the firm thinks is like legit at all? You know, everyone just wants your money in the markets. That's the whole name of the game. Markets are hot. Better get in before, you know, you miss the opportunity. Markets are down. Great time to buy. You know, so this is part of the, the reason why Bitcoin is so compelling is because like we, we need a risk-free rate of return, right? At the, in the current dynamic, you have to have a financial education or you subject yourself to the, the financial advisory industry just to keep a pace of inflation and stuff like that, you know? So it's, it, I can see why it's overwhelming for people and they seek those solutions. But if Bitcoin were the monetary standard, then, you know, a lot of people would just choose I work, I want to save, and I just want those savings to be there in five to 10 years' time when I need them. Is that too much to ask? And I would say, no, it's not too much to ask. And you don't have to take extra risk just to maintain your purchasing power. You know, that's, that's a silly aberration of the system that we currently have. And so in that environment, of course, there'll still be a role for people that help you you know, make financial decisions, but I think it'll be far smaller in industry than it is today. I mean, God, the financial industry in the world today is enormous. I mean, it's a malignant cancer on the world economy in many, in many respects. And if we had a more reasonable way to, and a, and a way in which we felt confident we could store our wealth and preserve our purchasing power, most people would just say, I'm not in a position to invest. You know, I don't want to take on that risk. But I want to make sure in 20 years, my cash, my, you know, my savings are worth the, the same amount. It can buy the same amount of things. And that's, you know, that's what a Bitcoin standard, in my opinion, one of the benefits that it that will probably manifest as a result. Yeah, you're totally right. When did you, when did you start thinking like that way? When, when did you realize that? Because About Bitcoin or the industry? Like the financial bo- advisory both, industry? Yeah, both. And then coming into Bitcoin. Well, because I, when was I in there? I I found out about Bitcoin very early on, but you know, as so many have said, ne- never didn't didn't take it seriously until after several looks. But um, I mean, to be honest, being in, in the, the wealth management in the capacity that I was, I hated it from as, as, 
soon as I got over the excitement of, you know, putting on a pinstripe suit every day and going to like, you know, after work drinks that would go to 3 a.m. and feeling like I was, you know, some sort of fucking bigwig for a very short period of time. Uh, once I got past that excitement, I was like, this is bullshit, you know, but you're young, you need money. I was in fucking China, you know, like you, you need work visa. So there's all these considerations that make you stay with something longer than you know that you should or you want to. And uh, then as far as Bitcoin, I mean, as you know, the Bitcoin rabbit hole never ends. So, you know, the realization that, you know, society would function better with a risk-free rate of return that, you know, people don't need a financial education to manage is just another one of those things that you kind of, once you realize it, you're like, yeah, of course, of, of course, that's the way things should be, you know, so... And how, how did you find yourself in China? That, that, like, you, you, were, you were born and raised where? Like... So I uh, born and raised in the glorious island of Newfoundland, Canada, which used to be its own country. If, 1949? Yeah, something like that. I should know. I think it's 1949. They joined Canada. Um, but, I mean, the short story, always been super curious. Always, you know, as a, as a young kid, I was fortunate enough to travel. Um, you, you know, my parents... Uh, like to travel. So we would go on, you know, trips to Europe or basically just Europe and Florida every couple of years. But, uh, in, uh, I, I did a one year exchange program after high school in Japan. And then I came back and didn't want to go to university, but got kind of roped into it. Uh, finished it up, went down to uh, South America for four months to, I mean, it ended up as more of a, like a, a, a backpacking trip around, but the original idea, uh, and which, which actually was the case for about six weeks, but I went into the Amazon because I wanted to learn about ayahuasca from a shaman in the Amazon. <laughs> what, <laughs> so, what year was this? <laughs> this two, two, 2009. Right, okay. So you're well yeah. ahead of the, uh, like the, right, okay. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I, I, I scope it out. I fly into Peru or fly into Lima, then fly into Iquitos, spend a couple of days there, take a boat a few hours up, up river, wind up in this little village where the shaman stays. Uh, and, but when I say shaman, like even I had images of like a guy with, you know, feathered whatever and wearing a gap. No, he's a guy with camo pants, you know, carries a, a buck knife on his thing, you know, filling up the, the boat with gasoline. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, and then I spent, uh, yeah, like, five or six weeks, I can't remember, something like that, uh, in, in the village, you know, spending time with them, learning about it, and then doing several ayahuasca ceremonies whilst there. And then after that, I just decided, one, the jungle is a very oppressive environment, and I kind of had my fill. Um, and two, you know, I felt I absorbed as much as I wanted to, and, you know, there's no real reason to stay. So I hopped a boat upriver to Colombia and just wound up partying my ass off for a month uh, all around Colombia, Bogota, um, Santa Marta in the north, Cartagena, Medellin, you know, all that kind of just take, you know, busting my, myself around. And uh, yeah, then did some time in Ecuador and back in Peru and Chile, a couple other places. But then I, uh, I, I want, so to answer your question, I'd always wanted to go to China for, you know, when I was in high school, I could see the China story, the China miracle. And I just thought, you know, Shanghai is like New York in the early 1900s. I wanted to be a part of the action. And so I, you know, came home, swapped out my backpack for a suitcase full of clothes, 
got a one-way ticket to Shanghai and uh, skulked around there. And I actually, big UFC f- fan. And so I was at a UFC fight one night at a bar uh, watching it. And the guy next to me, uh, we started talking. I told him what I was there. I'm trying to find a job in finance. He was the head of recruitment for this wealth management firm, you know, and it all, that's how it played out. That's so many, so many stories are like that, right? People, people like, um, as soon as you put yourself out there, it, it, you know, things can happen. Um, but man, that's a convoluted route. Uh, I know, I know. So after wealth management, you, you, you mentioned Chinese traditional medicine or what, 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 what was it you said? So I, after that stint in wealth management, I did a, a, a three-year program through a university in the States and it's, the program was called, um, like a doctor of natural medicine. So there's, there's, it's not Chinese medicine, but typically like American natural medicine will incorporate a lot of different non-drug approaches to health, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, obvi- I'm definitely not, uh, you know, I, I believe in a, in a collaborative approach to medicine. So not, I'm not against Western medicine. I just think there's a lot of things, a lot of, you know, aspects of our health that, could have a could be managed better or could even be resolved better than through surgery or pharmaceutical drugs and so i'd I'd always been very much into health and wellness my whole life and uh, just thought i'd formalize that knowledge uh through you know going to school for it and you know after the wealth management i was looking for something like a complete 180 and uh so i did that and and went back to shanghai uh, did basically the residency for a few months, and then I found an opportunity at a clinic there. Uh, and kind of similar story, actually, to the wealth management thing. It's just the, it, the, there's such a great opportunity to work with people and really help them, but the greed just uh, you know uh, was was immense. It was a Chinese-owned clinic, and I don't want to generalize here, but you know the Chinese are very um, they prioritize. M- I am generalizing and I have a lot of Chinese friends that are in the younger generation that aren't so much like this, but the older generation, they, they seem to prioritize uh, profit and money above pretty much anything else. And it was, uh, you know, that's the way they got down and I didn't like that either. So I, I found myself leaving again after two years or so. How many languages have you picked up along your journey? Well, I've picked up and lost a number, but you know, I, I, I could I could speak Japanese when I was eighteen, and then I kind of lost that. And uh, my family lived in France when I was four or five years old, so I picked up French a decent amount, and that's that's still hanging around. And then you know, Chinese, of course, and that's starting to dissipate. So that's about it, man. And um, what keeps you busy now, other than the podcast? <laughs> well, I came home. I came home at Christmas, and then uh, you know my family's in the restaurant business. And uh, my dad and I, every time I'd come home, we'd always been talking about some things related to media that they could be doing because it's such a a rich brand, and I, you know, there's so much that they could be doing that would be unique and different. And anyways, I just you know decided it was a, might be a good time to hang around and and experiment and help with some of that kind of stuff. So I did, and then of course we're we're in this mess that we're in now, and this is just crushing for the um, the hospitality industry generally, but certainly restaurants. And so we're kind of in the eye of the storm as we speak. Yeah, and so what's 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 going on in Canada right now? Because uh, like North America has been a little bit behind, um, like the draconian measures that have been taking place, and 
uh, many countries in Europe at this stage. Do you need Do you need papers to leave your house right now, or something? Or is it yeah. Curfews or? Yeah. Just to leave yeah. your house. Yeah. If I Shit. if I walk down, I mean, we're lucky because we're countryside, and so mm-hmm. you know the, these. I think these hard measures are more aimed at the cities because you got to be really more vigilant in the cities because of like social contact and, and whatever else. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it'd be that hard placed here. Although I did hear, I mean, we've not been down to our local town because did this this come in Monday afternoon? Um, and we just haven't need to go. We haven't needed to go to the shops yet. Uh, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're fully stocked up at the moment. Um, but if we were to, then um, we know that there are gendarmes, um, police officers, uh, guarding all of the entrances into the town, and they will stop you and ask you for the papers. So we have to download, print off a piece of paper from the government. And each time you go out, you have to write your name, the reason for going out, tick a box for the reason you're going out, and sign it and date it for that day. And it has to be a different date and different slip of paper each day. And it's the person that you're you're going out with. Now, it's crazy. Um, I've been out two or three times. There's a a little um, tabac down the road where they can sell... um, fruit and vegetables and bread and she's still allowed to fruit so i can i can walk down there i still take my yeah. slip of paper with me and it's the weirdest fucking thing man it's like you, honestly you, it feels like you know nazi germany you know? yeah you're like what it's, the hell it's wild man and things are happening i mean every hour it's different you know things are happening mm-hmm. so fast and from from all angles, from you know the virus, from the political reaction, from the economic reaction. I mean, the stock markets, and I mean, it's we're just in this place of crazy activity right now, and all bets are off, it seems, and nobody knows what's going to happen. And I mean, Bitcoiners obviously have their view on what's going to happen on a macro level. Once you know, well, this is the this is what we've been expecting for a long time. I just think most of us probably didn't expect such a powerful catalyst for all this to kick off you know maybe we thought that it would be a bit more of a drawn out process or that would happen you know but for for basically economic activity to grind to an absolute halt then all those different indicators that we've been watching for years that were screaming at us you know in their charts or in whatever other analysis you know in october november december january february and we were all like, man, this something's, you know, this, this seems like it's going to break very, very soon. To have that already have been the case and then to throw the virus that stops economic activity on top of that, I mean, it's just like, boom, you know? And, and I think a lot of people think, okay, it's going to be real shitty when the vi- while the virus is here. We just got to get through it, hunker down, and then we'll be back to normal afterwards. I, most people don't have an appreciation for where things were headed prior to the virus. Um, and I think it's going to be a rude awakening when people start to realize that we're heading into a new normal and it's a really uncomfortable new normal. And what are your thoughts around the virus itself? Um, I was going to ask you, man, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to think. Like, I, you know, I don't want to be that... Uh, I've, I haven't been, and I don't want to start being that guy that's just like, What's the big deal? You know, but I just, I don't know what to think about it. I'm not uh, a virologist. Like, I don't know how different this is from anything that's come before it. I don't know how 
the real risk is. So like, I know everyone's erring on the side of caution and that's what governments are doing. And, you know, they feel the need to try to nip this in the bud as dramatically as possible. And that's why whether it's China or Italy or now, you know, North America, where the shutdown is becoming more severe by the hour. I get it. I just, but I just don't know how to think about it really. I'm exactly the same position as you. Like two weeks ago, if you'd have asked me, I'm like, guys, like whatever, like it's going to go away soon. Um, You know, I was in Singapore during SARS. And um, when I look back at that now, I mean, the way they dealt with it, I guess, was, um, was incredible. We, you, you had your temperature taken uh, three times a day whilst you sat at your desk. Somebody would come around and literally take your temperature. Um, you'd wow. be on the phone and before, before you know it, you'd be on the phone trying to close out a deal and there's a thermometer in your ear. You're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and uh, it was all getting logged, you know, classic Asian style. And um, every single, I don't know how they did this, but in every single taxi, the driver... Overnight, it seemed, every cab you got in, the driver had been encased in some custom-built for Toyota Crown or Toyota Corona. Bloody hell, they were Coronas. <laughs> Toyota Coronas. So the, the, the taxi you drivers... have seen the sign? I, I don't know. The, uh, the taxi drivers were, um, like, encased. Like, so you go in the back of a cab one morning, you're like, what the hell? And on that, on that plastic casing was written his, his temperature and he had to stop two or three times each shift and get that wow. updated. And you couldn't pass cash. I think you had to use a card or there was a little letterbox. I can't remember. And now I think, you know, okay, well then that's why SARS didn't really spread around to the rest of the world. I know there were some cases in Canada, I think, um, but yeah. it didn't like hit Europe the way like Corona has. Well, China, I mean, look what China did. I mean, Wuhan's a gigantic city, tons of economic activity, obviously, and they just shut that place down. And now, you know, my friends who were in Shanghai, they went to Thailand for a few weeks and just had a bit of fun. And uh, now they're all back and they're out picnicking in the park in Shanghai and things seem to be settled down. So, you know, that seems pretty encouraging to me, but remains to be seen if we have the same experience in the West. Exactly. And and how how willing are the you know the governments in place? Certainly, if I'm you know pointing fingers at the UK and at the US, um, how willing are these governments to politicise the whole thing and game it to their ultimate advantage somehow? I mean, they're already using it as a get out of jail free card to go and print as much cash as they want and just yep. say we need to do this to protect you guys because if we don't, and it's this virus thing. And Trump is now blaming China as well. Like, you know, it's... I, th- I think you know the answer to that question. And I agree with, uh, with that. And, you know, it's, it is what it is, right? But it's, it's unfortunate because a part of this whole narrative was obviously going to be extreme irresponsibility, corruption, manipulation, abuse of, you know, the, the power to create money and all the different powers that, that conveys on the... the economic and political spectrum that failing was obviously i think a truth that needed to come out in order for the world to realize that an alternative is required and then of course you know you and i would probably argue that bitcoin would be an extremely good alternative and now i think um on all levels really but certainly on these you know the, the top levels 
this will be scapegoated. And uh, it, whatever comes of this economically or in, in terms of currency or politically, it will all be blamed on, on the virus. And a lot of people not knowing any better will believe that. And that will probably allow, unless we see like an actual collapse of the fiat system, which is certainly on the table right now. But unless we see that, I think that uh, narrative will allow it to persist perhaps longer than it was going to already. And what do you feel about um, these companies that are now asking for bailouts? I mean, if we look at Boeing, for example. Fuck them. But I know that's not going to happen. But I mean, of course, that's the answer for, for most of us in this space. I mean, if you mismanage a company, that company still has capital, still has assets. It's just, you know, you, you have to declare bankruptcy or whatever. And some enterprising individual or another company, a competitor in the space will buy those assets 10 cents on the dollar or whatever the discount is. They'll recycle them, they'll repurpose them, and they'll, they will emerge as the winner for having been more responsible and having been more competitive and taking cheap assets and making them, uh, you know, getting more value out of them. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And I, you know, that's the way it would work with a, 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 a monetary standard that's doesn't favor so much the person who's able to control it to such a degree as we have today. But they'll get it, you know, because Boeing is a defense contractor, ultimately. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the U.S.'s biggest exporter, if, unless I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the case. Uh, so not only is it huge economically, but it's huge, uh, you know, strategically in, in terms of defense. So they're not going to let Boeing fail. So whatever it takes, they'll bail them out. No, definitely. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, it's a duopoly, right? It's Boeing or Airbus. Well, and, and the US going to let Boeing, like you know, crumble and no get it. <laughs> and then, just... and then you have an economy filled of filled with, if not zombie companies, and of course, a lot of them will be. But just you know, how much you know, genuine economic value is being destroyed by just in you know taking that syringe and jab it into that corpse and trying to get some more life out of it you know what what downs what negative downstream effects will that have on the economy and on competition and on uh, on everything i mean you you can't compete with a company that just gets you know rings up the government and gets a hundred billion dollar bailout i mean how is anyone who's in that industry who's you know vying to compete and who's doing everything right how are they supposed to compete with that you can't and you know of course everybody knows that the travesty here is that the gains are privatized and the losses are, are, you know, are public, you know, so whatever gains there are, then the CEOs and the upper management, they get, you know, the bonuses, they get the, the share buybacks and, you know, performance based on share price and all the rest of it. And as you know, that's been a huge part of this, just all this cheap money over the last decade, borrow money, buyback share, stock price goes up, I'm the executive team, I get a shitload of money. But when we fail, when that strategy fails, when we're over levered, et cetera, then the public pays for the bailout. And they pay for it unknowingly, of course, through inflation or, or whatever else. But that's, you know, doesn't sound like free market capitalism to me. And if you think about this, like just three months ago, we were talking about planes falling out of the sky, like the Boeing 737 MAX and like the right. gross negligent acts along the supply chain line. And, uh, and now they're standing cap in hand. It's madness. It is. It, it really is. And I think a lot of people right now, uh, you know, aside from the people that, you know, those spring breakers that are still going mad in like in, in Florida or whatever, like they, they don't even know what the fuck is going on. But I think a lot of people 
are starting to realize like this time is different. This is something is afoot and they don't know how to place their finger on it, but something, you know, something is really, really, really wrong. And, um, you know, again, we've people like you and I, and a lot of the other Bitcoiners have been screaming this for a long time. Hence our participation in the Bitcoin ecosystem. But, um, it is madness. I mean, it's, it's utter madness, but here we are. And it's probably not going to, you know, it's not going to get back to even a semblance of sanity without a great deal of pain and struggle. And, but the beauty, you know, the, the, one of the great things about Bitcoin is like in previous eras, you know, if, if, if you were one of those people that were like, everything is crazy, this doesn't make any sense, the, the abuses and the corruption, everything, you literally had to revolt with guns. And there's many examples across history where people just rose up because their oppressors became too oppressive and they said, enough is enough. We need to take up arms. And but the problem is, ultimately, whoever wins becomes corrupted. You know, absolute power corrupt, or power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So it doesn't matter how good your intentions were at the beginning, somewhere, maybe even generations later, that power that you wrested from your oppressors becomes the oppressor. And what's amazing about this, quote, revolution is that all you need to do is opt out. You don't have to, and because your opt out is taking power from one system and, you know, a, a group of people or a system that has been, has abused that, that power so, you know, egregiously and just moving it into another system that doesn't allow for that. And that gives you back more power and sovereignty over your work, your labor, your savings, your ability to transact and, and trade. And that's a, this is, again, just another part of why we're so excited about this thing because it doesn't require, it's a different kind, a fundamentally different kind of revolution that happened in the past, even though it's for the same reasons. And uh, it's one that can't be defeated. Doesn't matter how big your army is or whatever. I mean, yes, it can be held up, it can be stopped, and, you know, uh, there's certain people in the Bitcoin community that constantly remind us, you know, how it's not quote unquote bulletproof. I get that, but it's, it's an, a tremendous tool for achieving that, that goal. Yeah, exactly. All right. So here's, here's, here's a fun question. Since coronavirus has mm-hmm. been the only thing in the news, what have we suddenly stopped talking about? globally we could we could we could go we could do a little tennis match here no problem sure well the first thing that comes to my mind is like the social justice warrior bullshit you know and the what, what, i don't even know how to describe it but the whole like no boys no girls sort of thing like whatever your opinion on that is whatever but that it's, that chatter seems to have calmed down in the face of all this okay uh i'll go with um brexit Okay. Um, gun debate seems to have quieted down a little bit. How about the um, extermination camps in China? Yep, that's definitely gone down. What else? I mean, to be honest, everything, right? I mean, the, the whole world is just looking at the virus and toilet All this paper shit and, is and getting swept under the rug. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Epstein. You know, no one's talking about Epstein anymore, right? <laughs> Prince Andrew, like that, this whole freaking absolute uh, disaster. Are you, are you going somewhere with this? I don't know. Are you? Are you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Hong Kong. Are we talking about Hong Kong anymore? Are those guys out still writing in the streets? Or they've been they've got their helicopter money and everything's good again. I mean, like, what the hell? You make you make a good you know. So it's a it's a valid point. It's an interesting case. I don't you know. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough to know how to feel about such an assertion that you're only partially making. But when was you, climate you know, change on the front page? Yeah, yeah. Could it's be a coincidence. All, May not. I, I, I don't, don't know. know, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's the get out of jail free card again. That's oh, uh, for 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 literally everything, right? Everything. Mm-hmm. But but the thing that you know that that boils you know my blood the most is you know what I just articulated, and that it's the get out of jail free card for this whole entire fiat system, right? Like that. All the other stuff, yes, it's like annoying and it's a headache and there's lots of political implications and there is you know those things need to be addressed too but this is the this is the final boss right and the fact that they may be able to use this to skirt the blame for what they've uh, created over the past 50 to 100 years is is uh, is sickening but again i fall back to Bitcoin doesn't really care. I mean, it as long you know, it will keep doing its thing. Every roughly ten minutes, another block, and if people continue to see value in that consistency and in that transparency and in what it's able to do, then it doesn't matter what it's up against. It will continue to grind away at it, and as long as people are increasingly seeing a need and or being educated about how things, what's going on, and how they work then it seems kind of inevitable that it will shift to that. What's one aspect of Bitcoin that you wished you could just implant in someone, like Matrix style, like just that, that one plug? Man. That is a good one. I don't know, man. I hate, <laughs> I hate to not give an answer, but... Like nobody, very few people understand what money actually is. You know, it's just, it's not something that a lot of people carry around in their minds. And if you knew what function it played, and then you could judge it on a spectrum of the various forms of money that have been used or are in use today, then I think you, you know, you'd be able to better appreciate what Bitcoin represents. And for those that can, which are many of the people that you and I have spoken to over the course of the last year or so, uh, it's incredibly exciting because you realize what kind of society could be built on top of a money like that. Uh, but we're in that, that ugly, uncomfortable transition period, which you know, our grandkids are going to admire us for being a part of, probably. But uh, you know, it, 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 it's not obvious to most people right now as it is to to many of us in this space so i don't in terms of implant like i guess i just wish i could i wish people asked more questions about money and i feel like if they did that there's so many resources out there today your podcast and many others and books and articles um where if they had that inkling of curiosity they'd find a ton of answers they'd go down the rabbit hole like the rest of us and basically their mind would be blown as max hillebrand says to the point of pain every day <laughs> <laughs> you have faced the they will i do because and i mentioned this uh, maybe with brady or no maybe with cave on the other day but like 
we are the people that the, those that came before us were waiting for. You know what I mean? Like the people, and you could use that for any like big transformative important topic, but let's say the, the OGs that were in Bitcoin in 09, 10, 11, right? And they were the crazy people talking about all this and, you know, all, you know that whole shtick. You and I, who weren't into it yet, we were the, the ones that were, they were waiting for because we were primed. We just weren't ready completely to be pulled fully into it. And then, you know, whatever, we hit that threshold where we just went right on down and we consumed everything. We found everything we could find. We learned, we learned, we studied. And here we are today. We're, you know, not at the bottom of the rabbit hole, but probably near the frontier. And, um, and so now we're looking up and seeing the people circling it at the top and being like, I wonder who's going to fall down next. Like, and so I do think it'll happen because it's, it's happening now. We're, we're, we're evidence of that. And so I don't know when it'll meet like a threshold when things really move quickly. I mean, it's hard to imagine that what's happening now is not going to bring in a lot of people. And, you know, I've been speaking with um, um, the head of ShakePay. And I know, you know, Francis has been saying this from Bull Bitcoin here in Canada, that over the last week, it's record signups for them, record purchases, record buys. And so then that surprises me because Typically, when Bitcoin is tanked, I'll get messages from friends and family being like, oh, you know, how's that store value going? And, you know, kind of comments like that. And all friends will be chirping me out and everything. And, and, that, and when it's going up, you know, people will be like, oh, guess you're doing pretty well or stuff like that. And it's, this seems to me, to me at least, the first time where it absolutely shits the bed, goes from, you know, 86 to 4, something, whatever that big fall was last week. and. Uh, and people are inspired to get involved. I mean, that's surprising to me, but it does indicate that people are starting to understand what's going on. And they're kind of like, if, I think they're looking at helicopter money and, you know, all these gigantic bailouts and repo operations and saying, wait a second, how can the government just come up with trillions of dollars and hand it out to everybody or inject it into the system? That's a bit. Like I'm not a financial person, but that doesn't really square with with how I think about things. And so I think they're looking for safety, really. And sure, like you can get involved in something like gold, but what are you going to do other than keep it under your bed or bury it in the backyard? I mean, you can't do anything with it in the modern world. Um, you know, and I was a gold bug before I was a Bitcoin bug, uh, but with Bitcoin, it provides that. It's not like everyone's turned off by the volatility, but to me, what's important about Bitcoin is that it keeps doing what it says it's going to do, and nobody can change that. So, I think in a world where everything has become uncertain, and every, you don't know how much money there is in the system, and you don't, you know, nothing. Just the fact that that's that it's knowable, and obviously that you know a market has grown up around it, and that you know it has a market price, and people value it as you know, a form of money or a value that can be transmitted. That's enough for them to, you know, have some degree of interest in it. And I can only see that accelerating in the climate that we're in and, and probably moving further into. You, you made me think of something um, really interesting there. What if we were to measure Bitcoin's volatility by, um, you know, the, the block rate issuance? <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. 10 minutes, right? Uh, it's just a flat yeah. line. It's, that's... Yeah, I was speaking with someone um, 
the other day. And, you know, I wish I'd had that kind of thought because, you know, obviously now people could pick that apart, but you're right. I mean, that's, that's why when people ask me what I'm most excited about, like I'm, I love to keep up on what's happening with lightning and what's happening on the base layer and all the development, even though I'm not, you know, really a technical person, but I, you know, I keep up on, I find it extremely fascinating. But the thing that excites me the most is just that TikTok next block. I mean, that is, that, that's get, get, gets me off more than anything because that's the core fundamental value of this thing is that it just keeps doing its thing regardless of who bans it, hates it, sells it, shorts it, longs it, manipulates it, anything. It just keeps doing its thing. And if you can zoom out and not be afraid by the rips up and then rips down and you know all this kind of stuff, then you can then you'll see the broader narrative at play here. And I just think there's nothing else quite like it that ha- you can have that degree of confidence in it. And it's something that's, you know, that you can actually use in the modern world from your, you know, farmhouse in France or from the edge of a cliff in, in rural Newfoundland to engage in a global economy without anybody prohibiting you from, from doing that, without anybody manipulating that, restricting you, censoring you, anything like that. I mean, that's huge. And in an environment that you referenced earlier where the politicians are going to capitalize on this crisis to restrict liberties and freedom even more, and then the financial interests are going to debase and devalue and restrict and control even more, then that becomes a pretty fucking important and valuable thing. And I think people en masse are going to begin waking up to that. I have complete faith, complete faith that um, people are smart. Uh, You know, I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I found it. Right. Exactly. You you probably say the same thing about yourself. You found it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's inevitable. Like, um, it certainly it certainly seems that way. You know, we we we're always you know stay humble, right? That's that's uh, the first part of the the famous stay humble stack sets. And I agree with that because that humility is what actually allows you to continue learning, and that's super important. But you know, objectively speaking, you know, there, there's there's threats that, that could stop this theoretically speaking, but practically speaking, I you know I, I think it's extremely unlikely. And as you say, if that's the case, all that's required is time. You know, and look, look at what's happened in the last 12 months, just in terms of the educational content that's available. Like how many podcasts are there? How many articles? How many books? How many websites? It's insane. So, you know, and there's more touch points all the time. So all these the millions of people around the world who are starting to have those questions pop up in their mind, they're like, what is going on? Like, what's up with that? What's up with that? They're going to hook one of those thoughts on one of those pieces of content that someone's put up and more and more likely to do so all the time. And then they'll get, you know, they'll get pushed down that rabbit hole and they'll be set on fire like the rest of us. And I mean, you, you know what Bitcoiners are like. I mean, we're, we're pretty fired up people. You know, we try to be measured. We try not to grab people at a social event and be like, oh my God, how come you haven't heard of this? But, you know, we're, we're very willing to engage in debates or conversation or this kind of stuff around these topics. And more of us are being created all the time. We're like the agent in, in Matrix. You know, I know it's a bad example because <laughs> Matrix is such a, like, a holy movie in this space. And, but like we're the, in the second one where Agent Smith just keeps replicating and replicating and replicating, you know, like th- that's what's happening. Well, there's nothing special about you or I. We're just normal people in the world who 
saw that things were fucked up and wondered, is there a way that things could be less fucked up? And we stumbled across this thing. And every, every time we learn more and more about it, our conviction was hardened even further. And just start a podcast, right? I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot tell you how long I procrastinated over starting a podcast. When at the end of the day, you're recording and having a cool conversation with someone and it's, putting it out there for people to listen to if they want. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing. You know, like I, my stance with this kind of stuff has always been, um, I don't like, I'm just going to have a conversation with somebody. And if somebody wants to listen, that's great. And if they don't, that's great. But the most, because when you see other things going on, occasionally I can find myself be, getting wrapped up in like, what do people want to hear or, or listen to? And I catch myself very, very early, typically in that process and thinking like, wait, I don't give a fuck. I, this is like, I'm, this is my journey. If anyone wants to be along for the ride, that's great. But like, I want to speak to the people that I am genuinely interested in speaking to. And if there's other people that people would love to hear from, but I'm not particularly interested in, then I ain't going to speak to them because it's not going to be, you know, a genuine expression of my own curiosity. It's going to be me trying to capitalize on some, you know, interest or audience or something. And that's, that's not what, you know, this new media is, is all about. This new media is the opportunity to, for people to, first of all, connect with like-minded people like we're doing now and then express themselves genuinely. And, and, you know, my perspective is do that and let the chips fall where they may. And if one person listens and who cares, and if a million people listen, then that's wonderful. And you know, that's it. Yeah, precisely. Okay. Should we hit you with some, uh, some rapid fire? (laughs) I'm so unprepared (laughs) for rapid fire. Do you do you prep for any of your calls, like, uh, or, or do you no. just like get, no? Well, I mean, I I uh, try to familiarize myself with the the guest, right? So I'll listen to some of the other podcasts they've been on, or I'll read their work and stuff like that. But I don't like write out a list of of questions or anything, except for the rapid fire. I have like a right. it's a, but it's the same for everybody. So at the end of our kind of free flowing conversation, I'll break out the list and just just hit them. Well, I've got your list. <laughs> I'm going to jumble them up though, just to fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Let's All right. See. Um, what's the one resource you'd uh, point somebody towards for Bitcoin? Honestly, I think it has to be GG's Bitcoin resources.com. I mean, I know, I know I've said it on other pods, but I just, every time I go there, I'm blown away at the depth and breadth of linked content there. I mean, have you been there? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like if you, if you have someone in your life, that's like, Oh man, tell me like, where can I learn more about this? Send them there and you won't have to do a da- another damn thing. I mean, they'll figure it out from there. So, uh, I think that's a tremendous resource. And one of the nicest guys. Uh, just yeah, like, he's, uh, he, he's awesome. man. I, I, consider him a friend even though we've only spoken uh, a couple times but i consider him a close friend yeah um he, he came on he was like number three on the show i couldn't believe that he he just like yeah i'll do it i was like what like <laughs> you realize i have zero <laughs> listeners you know like, yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we stayed on chatting for about another 30 minutes afterwards just uh amazing guy um yeah shout out awesome. to Digi. right okay um song related to bitcoin I'm only going to say this because it, it popped up uh, the other day, but Warren G, regulate. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh man, I've got to do that as the intro music. <laughs> Please do. That'll be that'll be an honor. I love that song. All right, that'll be done. That'll be done. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think you've already answered it, but the movie related to Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, for me, it's all it's it's been Matrix. It always kind of has been. Other Wish investments, I had something more original. Other investments uh, other than Bitcoin. Nope. Just not. Uh, don't have the confidence in the in the asset, the counterparty risk, the returns. So, you know, cash and and Bitcoin. I think is, is especially right now is the way to go. Uh, one aspect of Bitcoin you know embarrassingly little about anything that's like yet to be implemented on the you know on the probably lightning too but on the base layer like the you know improvements that are coming up you know I just I guess my approach is not to spend the time getting too deep on them until they're like either implemented or about to be and you really need to know about them so you know I'm excited by taproot and schnorr and all the rest of it but i i probably should know more how would you explain bitcoin to a 10 year old you know i've never considered how difficult some of these questions uh, might be <laughs> <laughs> um man i would just say it's money that nobody can take from you like daddy can't take it from you mommy can't take it from you it's totally yours. What does success for Bitcoin Bitcoin look like? Global monetary standard upon which the global financial system is based. How have you changed since finding Bitcoin? I've always been super frugal and like super into health. And so like a lot of those common things I kind of already was. Um, this is how it's changed me i'm more hopeful i um in 2000 you know when i went down the rabbit hole of trying to understand the world like in in later high school earlier university years um you know i became pretty negative on the outlook for the world because i and it goes without saying i didn't see it perfectly accurately or objectively but you know, I'd always tried to be very objective. And, you know, my Amazon order history is fucking enormous because even, you know, even at, you know, when I was 20, I'd be reading books about like a, the Israel lobby and the inside the FDA and tales of an economic hitman and like that, 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 all this kind of stuff just to try to understand how this whole thing works. And, um, after doing that, and this is actually what led me down the psychedelic route is because I, I felt that there was you know, the level of control that the quote unquote powers that be in the world head over everyone through the financial system and money primarily, but in other ways as well. Like I, I, one, I didn't understand how that could be turned around. So that's what made me become a gold bug. Cause I thought, well, at least I'll just hedge against whatever the fuck they do to the money. Um, but the other one was I couldn't understand what their motivations were beyond because they're already beyond like unimaginably wealthy. So like, what is motivating you day after day to keep doing that? And of course, the simple answer could just be more, you know, everyone wants greed, everyone wants more. But I was looking, you know, I thought like, there's got to be something more mysterious, you know, and uh, perhaps I was naive, but nevertheless, that is what kind of led me down the route of looking into like, 
what the elites from different eras did, you know, whether it's the Greek era, the Egyptian or this or that. And, you know, they all had these like mystery schools and secret rites and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe the answer is there. And I dive into that. And, you know, psychedelics at least seem for, you know, the, the history we have on this kind of stuff seem to have been an instrumental element of many of those, you know, secret rites. Like, you know, a very, very uh, well-known one would be the Eleusinian Mysteries in Greece. And uh, so this was a very exclusive, you know, club of people that they congregate, I think, you know, a couple times a year. And they would imbibe this substance and they would have these, you know, ineffable experiences, but they were very secretive. And so I thought, like, maybe that's where the secret is. And in going down that road, I mean, I, I, you probably know if you've, if you've listened to any of my stuff that, you know, I'm a very interested in and an advocate of, of the responsible use of, of psychedelics for to not use any fancy language, just exploring um, areas of consciousness that are typically inaccessible or harder to access. And, you know, myself being a curious person, I am wondering what's going on in the nooks, nooks and crannies of my brain and what other, um, what other types of consciousness are accessible to me in a, in a controlled and a safe way. And so that kicked off that interest for me. And I didn't get any answers as, in, in terms of like, what's going on in the world. Um, but I was, <laughs> I'll circle back to a direct answer. But what, I, what, what it made me feel was hopelessness about the world. So I thought the only thing I could do was have a, create a, have a positive outlook on my like, immediate surroundings and try to carve out the best life I can and kind of let go of a hope for the world, which is, which is a depressing thought. I managed my way around it because I thought, well, if, if if there's, I'm a pragmatist, so if there's nothing else to do but make my life the best I can make it, then that's what I'm going to do. But Bitcoin has given me a tremendous amount, a reinvigorated hope that this world can be so much better, more amazing, fairer, healthier, you know, everything good um, than, it, than it could have been before I came across it. So I'm a lot more hopeful and I wake up in the morning happier and with more bounce on my step. And that's a... Uh, pretty phenomenal thing that's deep <laughs> but that's right and, and i felt the same and uh, people think you're crazy but it takes so much anxiety away it really mm -hmm. does when, when you yeah. realize that that um <clears throat> excuse me when you realize that you're saving for your future self when you realize that uh, it's yeah. like oh, all right yeah, i can get on with I can get on with being a dad now. I can get on with being a husband. I don't have to be this crazy, freaking wound up, anxious, angry it's, at the system. Like, you know. You hit the nail on the head. Like, it, it frees up your attention and your, you know, your concerns from that constant hamster wheel of like always thinking that it's got to be running to you can have confidence in that. Again, back to TikTok next block. Like, that, it's just, it's just like a, a heartbeat of existential comfort running in the background of your mind that just frees up your attention to engage as fully as possible in other things that are important to you, relationships, family, health, creativity, whatever it is. It's where there was not that before, it's there now, and it does just give you that sense of uh, freedom. And that's the whole point of this fucking thing is freedom. You know, freedom as an individual, freedom for attention, freedom to create, freedom to engage, freedom to express, freedom to love. You know, that's what it's all about. 
I think, you know, in my opinion, and it certainly feels like that thus far. So I can't get this vision out of my head now. Like anytime I look at a price chart of, of Bitcoin, I want somebody to put on the bottom like the 10 minute blocks, just, just, just there every single time. And it doesn't matter what the squiggly line's doing above it. <laughs> Because I can just right. see right that, you know, that's, that's the base layer. And yeah. uh, wow. What did Bitcoin okay. do today? About every 10 minutes, it produced another block. Oh, yeah. sweet. Awesome. Great. I did. <laughs> it's, right. it's not dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. All right. Um, I've got to look. At, uh, now I've jumbled them up. I've got to find uh, where, where, I, <laughs> where I got to. Uh, how will you know if Bitcoin failed? That will stop. Roughly every 10 minutes, there will be no block. That'll be it. We wait for an hour and it's like, no block? Nope. I mean, you know, there's aberrations, of course. But, you know, if that persists for, you know, an obviously, um, you know, too too long of a time, or if, you know, it persists and then you figure out why and, you know, something is fundamentally wrong, then, yeah, that'll probably mean it's failed. But even if that happens... And I don't think it will, but I think the, the, the genie's out of the bottle here. Like some, even if the current chain, something happens to it, obviously another one could be drummed up fairly easily, perhaps with the fixes or the upgrades or whatever. And we still, there's copies of the UTXO set all over the world. I mean, there, there's, I assume there's several hard copies as well. So no matter what happens, the distribution at the time of failure of the chain will be accessible and we can just re- start this back up with no loss to anybody. Everything's in order, everything's in place and we just kick back into gear. So, I mean, it's mind blowing that that is, is set in stone now pretty much forever. And no matter what happens, we're going to be able to rejig this and have everyone be pretty much unaffected and keep going in the same direction we were going. Like that's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Who would you never have on the show? Who would I never have? Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that like won't have people on. I like I would prefer to talk to someone and either showcase their ignorance or their malice or whatever, rather than saying like I'm not. I don't want to give them a platform. Like I think anyone who's listening to my shit is able to make their own decision based on whatever they hear. And if they hear me being a prick or an asshole, then they'll judge me accordingly. And if they hear someone making an ass of themselves on the show, they'll judge them accordingly. Like I presume would be the case if someone like Roger Ver ever came on the show or something like that. But there's nobody I wouldn't have on. And last question. If there's one person that you could educate about Bitcoin who could take your knowledge in a matter of hours and then go out and share that message with they're following someone far wider reaching following than you could ever, ever hope. Who would that person be and why? It's a good question. Very good. And it robbed that one. <laughs> you can use it, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, hmm. and so they take my understanding and they mm-hmm. communicate it to, well, I mean, I, th- I was going to, okay, let me preface this. This is not my answer, but like someone like, like Xi Jinping or, or like Trump, just because of their reach, but I, I would rather it, and I think ultimately it would have, have more impact 
And I think this is underway. But someone like Joe Rogan, who has such an enormous reach, if they could, and I, look, I don't think I articulate any of this stuff particularly well. And I'm like, there's tons I don't know. And that's why I speak to people that know a lot more. But if he even had my level of understanding about this stuff and articulated it to his audience, who I think respect him, uh, appreciate him on a similar wavelength to him, all that kind of stuff, then uh, I think that would be a pretty impactful uh, thing. Perfect. And, uh, well, I, I got to ask, when moon? Fuck. The next couple hours? I mean, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> let's check. I mean, let's yeah. check. I, 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 what's happened in this last hour and a half? <laughs> the last couple of days, I, I feel like it's just been like a, you know, like a rocket shaking on the, on the base, yeah. on, the, on the platform. I'm just thinking, like, how is this being held down right now? And, like, the, the obvious answer is, there's a liquidity crunch all over the world. People are having to liquidate their positions to get dollars to cover uh, leverage, short, like all that kind of stuff. But still, with the amount of money that's going to be fl- uh, sloshing around, to make no mention of the UBI that probably a lot of different countries are going to enact off the back of this crisis, and this kind of shock to people's consciousness that this crisis represents, and all the signups that are happening on you know exchange apps and that kind of stuff, like I. Bitcoin's worth, I mean, now it's worth 114 billion US market cap. But like, you know, yesterday it was a hundred billion dollar market cap for a global decentralized censorship resistant, you know, digital gold form of, of value transfer. I mean, that is just the steal of the century, in my opinion. And as a result of that, I think it could aggressively move higher very shortly. Now, if we had another 10 years and it just kind of chopped away, you wouldn't hear any argument from me. Unless, of course, things got really authoritarian really quick and we needed it that fast. But, you know, I don't need it to moon like immediately, but I just think in this kind of environment, it's probably going to. Um, But, you know, moon for you and I would probably be 50K, 100K and we'd be like, holy shit. But, you know, real moon is probably a mil, 10 mil plus. And that sounds crazy right now, but as many commentators are observing on, on Twitter right now, if fiat is literally infinite, you know, if, if, if there's no limit to how much it can be created, then there's really no limit to the upside of an indicator that basically is, a, is the reality of the, the loss of value in that, that unit of fiat. So, you know, that can be printed to infinity, then the adjustment in price for a hard asset can grow to infinity. I mean... It's not rocket science. It's mad. <laughs> it's just mad. That's, that's, yeah. it, it really is just uh, incredible. Well, so let, let, let me ask, before we sign off, let me ask you this. How are you, you know, because you, you were in a bit of different situations. You've got a family and you're in France and stuff. How are you navigating this situation, both with yourself and your own family? What are the discussions like with, you know, loved ones and stuff right now? What What's your... Uh, game plan here stack and <laughs> you know and uh, we, you know the, the the podcast was um i've i've managed to uh convince a few family members i've managed to convince a few friends um managed to convince my my wife that's a very very good starting point um even some of my kids as well uh, you nice, know they've nice. they've managed to start their 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 stacking journey um 
And that's why I wanted to start the podcast because people don't want to, you know, like those closest to you don't want to hear it from you. Right. Because you're just Dan, right? Yeah. No, right. What do you right. actually know? Like they, your friends and your family. The baggage. They've got all the other baggage yeah. that you've carried around for your whole life in it for context, right? Exactly. So I was thinking, yeah. well, if I, you know, I like, you know, Bitcoin Twitter is a thing and you're like, oh my God, you know, this is crazy. Um, if only I could expose some of my uh, friends and family to this, but then they don't, they don't do that because, oh, I'm not on Twitter, you know, I'm on Facebook too many freaking hours a day. That's why they're not on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my parents are never going to get on that kind of stuff. So I started the podcast with thinking, oh, at least they might listen to the, you know, to that. They might listen to someone else. Of course, <laughs> out of 20 episodes, my mom and dad have listened to zero. I think my brother <laughs> might have listened to one. <laughs> you know? You're not, you're not alone, man. I think, right? I think, I think my dad's listened to one or two, but my mom and other family members. Okay. I'm getting a, I'm getting a, uh, a hand raised right now. I think my, one of my sisters might've listened to a portion of one podcast, but certainly nobody's listened to more than that. Would have listened to one side of this one by the looks of things. Exactly. We're going to finish this call and they're going to be like, you were taking drugs in the Amazon? Like we- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they, they know all about that. I've never, <laughs> never kept any secrets. So my, life, my life's pretty much an open book, which is probably why they don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know, man. We just I think we'll probably be in situations, I hope, that um, we'll be able to look, at, look out and, and after the people around us, you know, when time comes, um, yeah. if, we, if, we, if we give up sailing, right? We, we don't want to keep getting on those boats because yeah. uh, they're dangerous for your Bitcoin. <laughs> so dangerous. Got to learn my lessons. <laughs> young and stupid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, how, how can people find you? What, what, how do you want to, um, any closing thoughts for the listeners? And, um, you know, well, the, the first closing thought is just, you know, again, I don't know if this was caught when we first started, but congratulations and kudos on the podcast. Been really enjoying it. You know, uh, it's not hard once you get started on a conversation, but you know, there's a bunch of annoying shit that you got to do to make all this happen. And it's time consuming and it takes time away from other things. So, you know, just congrats on getting it going and, and have it, be so well received and having such great guests. I mean, it's, it's been awesome. Um, for me, no, no, no closing remarks. Uh, yeah, I just hope everybody is, is safe out there and uh, is planning accordingly for the times that we're in and the times that uh, are likely to be ahead. And, um, you know, love everybody out there. And if they want to hear more from me, Twitter handle is J-O-H-N-K-V-A-L-L-I-S. So John K. Vallis. And then the podcast is Bitcoin rapid fire. So you can find it on all, all the normal places. John, thanks. Thanks so much. Kind words, very kind words. And thanks for coming on um, because uh, you, you've been another one of those great guests that you were talking about. Really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it too. Best of luck. Thank you.